All right, uh, as has become custom for the intros of these podcasts, why don't we uh, begin with a little bit of humor, eh, Alistair? Oh, dear. Oh, no. Okay. All right. A little <clears throat> topical humor here. So, what does Santa suffer from if he gets stuck up the chimney? Uh, uh, I don't know. It's claustrophobia. You get it? Claustrophobia. You know, okay, okay, wait. I got another one. I got another one. Why don't you ever see Santa in a hospital? Um, um, well, it's because he's got private health care. Private elf care. Well, Praveen, that's, that's, that's another Christmas cracker from you. Thanks very much. <laughs> well, great. Hey, thank you very much. Hello again, listeners, and welcome back to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Praveen Ranganath, and I'm with radiology at Massachusetts General Hospital in the United States. And my name is Alastair Moss, and I'm a cardiologist in Leicester in the UK. On today's episode, we will continue our conversation on deriving functional information from coronary CT angiograms. Specifically, we'll be focusing on the vascular volume to myocardial mass ratio, or V2M for short. Right, Alistair. And if our audience hasn't yet listened to our previous episodes on the basics of FFRCT and the breakdown of the advanced registry results, I strongly recommend you take a listen. Those episodes will set the foundation for our discussion today. And most importantly, we're joined by a very special guest today, Dr. Charlie Taylor. Dr. Taylor is the co-founder, chief technology officer, and a member of the board of directors of HeartFlow Incorporated. Previously, Dr. Taylor was an associate professor in the Department of Bioengineering and Surgery at Stanford University. He has a background in mechanical engineering with a PhD in mechanical engineering from Stanford University. Dr. Taylor is internationally recognized for development of computer modeling and imaging techniques for cardiovascular disease research, device design, and treatment planning. Dr. Taylor, thank you so, so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here today. Wonderful. Thanks again for taking the time to provide your insights on our topic today. All right. Dr. Taylor, let's start by talking about the origins of the V to M ratio. Many of us imagers that have started to gain some experience with FFRCT have encountered situations where FFRCT values just gradually drop along the course of a vessel without an apparent anatomic stenosis. Usually, these are the patients that have a significant burden of atherosclerotic disease at baseline. To help us better understand these situations, you and your team have pioneered this concept of the V to M ratio. Can you explain what the V to M ratio is and provide us with some background on its origins? It was a bit of a serendipitous discovery. I can tell you in the, a, a little over 10 years ago, we were doing the very, very first cases with FFRCT and extracting the root of the aorta and the coronary arteries. And we, there was a particular patient that just kind of struck me because it, I looked at the coronary arteries were very small relative to the, to the size of the aorta. And also, interestingly, this is a fairly large a man who had a large myocardial volume or myocardial mass. And I, I thought it looked like those vessels were a little too small relative to the, again, the, the size of the, this patient's heart. And we did the FFRCT analysis and saw this gradual drop in FFRCT down the length of all the vessels, three vessels. And I thought, you know, there's something strange here. And this patient happened to have then subsequently gone to the cath lab and the interventional cardiologist measured FFR in all three vessels and all three vessels were positive. 
uh, despite really no significant ob- obstructive uh, coronary disease. And it, I just kind of filed that away. And, and I just, you know, thought that that was a little bit unusual. And uh, now a few years ago, I was at um, ESC meeting and was meeting with Bjarni Norgard. And Dr. Norgard was doing a study at his uh, site in Aarhus. And they were looking at patients doing coronary CT on patients post-STEMI to look at non-culprit lesions. And it was he had just made a comment to me that it was strange because he thought that he had not given a proper dose of uh, sublingual nitrates because the vessels looked small and spindly. And when we did the FFRCT analysis, we saw a you know significant drop in the FFRCT despite you know again the obvious uh, focal disease. And I started you know thinking about it. I thought about that first patient, and I thought maybe there's a way to understand. Maybe there's a phenotype of patients that have small coronary arteries relative to the demand of the myocardium. You know, I thought, well, you know, the uh, maybe there is a way to just derive a very simple anatomic measure to look at the epicardial coronary volume, which we could easily extract from CT, and the myocardial mass, which we could extract also from CT and volume. And perhaps this would provide some insight into these patients without obstructive disease that had positive FFR and, and maybe ischemic uh, as well. So this was uh, the origin of, of uh, the concept of volume to mass ratio. Charlie, that's fascinating. How actually is the VTM ratio calculated using the t- CT data sets? Yeah. So from the coronary CT, and we extract all of the vessels that really, uh, we do this anyways with FFRCT, all the vessels that we can really see down to a millimeter, you know, even a little bit less than a millimeter in size. And we segment all of those vessels. And then we calculate from that surface, the luminal surface for all the vessels, we just look at the interior volume from that. And it's a simple, you know, computer graphics calculation to get the total volume. For the mass, we do the the LV segmentation and then use a constant assumed tissue density to get the mass. We had already been doing that mass calculation anyways because we derive a baseline flow in FFRCT uh, from the amount of myocardial mass with the idea that there's a certain flow per unit of tissue that the heart ordinarily needs. Now, what was peculiar about this when we when we did this in the VM is that theoretically in an animal model, you have almost a perfect linear relationship between the volume and mass, actually a constant relationship between volume and mass. But the question was, was did this also hold true in, in patients? Um, so we then, from the NXT clinical trial uh, that uh, was published uh, before that, looking at the accuracy of uh, FFRCT, we did the volume to mass calculation in all of those patients. And then we related that to the observed uh, fractional flow reserve to see if this would, again, provide some insight into low FFR in patients without obstructive disease. Interesting. Charlie, so what's the clinical implication of having a high volume to mass ratio versus a low V to M ratio? Yeah. And it's very interesting because I would say in all of the data that we've looked at, if you have a high volume to mass ratio, even just above the median, it is very, very uncommon to find a positive FFR value less than 0.8 unless you have significant, very significant stenosis. And so for for instance, you, you might not see a positive FFR or FFRCT in a high volume to mass patient unless you have perhaps a 60 or 70% stenosis in a main vessel. 
Whereas if you have a low volume to mass ratio, that's when you see all of the patients that have a positive FFR with less than 50% stenosis. And some of them, even in zero to zero to 30%, you know, very mild coronary disease. So that that is the difference. It provides insight into the differences between those uh, groups of patients. So if you have a high VM, that's that's really good, actually, I think from what we can see, because it does seem like the epicardial vessels are of an adequate size to carry the myocardial blood flow even under stress conditions. But a low VM patient loses significant pressure along the length of the vessel, even absent obstructive uh, coronary disease. And so, Charlie, is the low VM telling you about diffuse atherosclerotic epicardial disease, or is it also potentially telling us about what's happening within the microvasculature as it perfuses into the myocardium? Yeah. So what I what I think uh, the low VM, when we did this uh, study, again, published in JCCT, what we observed is that the low VM uh, patients did have, we did the plaque analysis as well with autoplaque, and they had more uh, non-calcified plaque in these patients. They had a to- higher total plaque burden, but a, but really a significantly greater non-calcified plaque burden. It turned out that calcified plaque wasn't predictive of a wasn't correlated with a low uh, volume to mass ratio. It was non-calcified plaque. So I would say yes, generally. A vessel conduit, a caliber of vessel could be small with a lot of diffuse atherosclerosis, but I think there's more to it than that. And this started us to look at this concept, you know, in the early days when the, the description of atherosclerosis was kind of formulated, they really differentiated between eccentric plaque, true atherosclerosis, and uh, diffuse intimal thickening. If you read the original papers, uh, position papers in the or American Heart Association, uh, Starry et al., uh, you see this description of diffuse interval thickening. And really the description is that it's much more for pervasive than atherosclerosis. It's circumferential and longitudinal in nature. And one of the things that you we also discovered is, is that you see more diffuse interval thickening or higher intima to media ratio in the coronary arteries than you see in other uh, vascular territories. So I think it could be that the coronary arteries, again, are predisposed to this phenomena. I think another possibility is diffuse atherosclerosis or also the possibility that the vessels are just not conditioned. One of the other observations that we made, if you look in the literature as the effect of, uh, for instance, uh, physical activity, physical activity, patients who are physically active, their resting vessel size, epicardial vessel size, is not much different than a, than a sedentary individual. But what an athlete uh, has the capacity to do is to significantly vasodilate the epicardial vessels. Because if you see high demands, you know, for instance, of exertion, it's not just about the microvascular vessels dilating and, and opening up. The epicardial vessels also have to get bigger. Otherwise, you will not accommodate the, the needed flow at a, a myocardial level uh, without the epicardial vessels getting big enough. So we would say there's probably three different uh, possible hypotheses. One is a diffuse intimal thickening. Another is diffuse atherosclerosis. And the third, uh, again, perhaps is his inability to vasodilate with nitroglycerin. Remember that these CT studies are done with sublingual nitrates. So it's, I don't think it's an endothelial mod, uh, modulated phenomena. It wouldn't explain that if you're using sublingual nitrates. So I think it has more to do with just the kind of structural you know, size of the vessel or the capacity of the vessel to dilate. This is really interesting stuff. It, it's 
probably going to end up being that V to M ratios are a new metric of helping us understand the underlying coronary physiology and pathophysiology going on in these patients. You've already started to hint at how we validated some of these V to M ratios in some of the initial FFRCT validation trials like Platform or NXT. Can you help us figure out what the main takeaway messages are from those validation sub-analyses? Yeah. When we looked at the NXT data, and the benefit of NXT is we had the CT uh, data available, and we also had measured FFR as well. And what we saw, again, in the NXT study was, first of all, we looked at a distribution of volume to mass ratio. We plotted it out, and we divided it up uh, into a low below the median or, or high above the median value. And these differences are, are even more uh, significant when you divide it into tertiles or quartiles. But just to dividing into this low versus high, the high VM patients, uh, you almost never saw positive FFR value. There were no cases of a positive FFR value with a less than 50% stenosis in the patients in the, in the higher VM. And all of the examples of positive FFR with less than 50% stenosis were found with low VM. The other interesting part of this, you know, looking at the, some of the other variables, and we, we, we had plaque analysis and, and plaque data. And as I said, non-calcified plaque showed up as a, as a contributor to low volume to mass or correlated with that. But when we, when we did a, a multivariable logistic regression analysis, uh, VM showed as an independent uh, predictor of low FFR. The other interesting part of this is we saw that patients with high BMI had a low volume to mass ratio, and also women actually surprisingly had a higher volume to mass ratio than, than men. And Charlie, I guess that begs the question in the low VM group, what's driving that? Is it the, is it the low volume within the vessels, or is it the fact that these patients have a high myocardial mass? Yeah, it's a great question. And when we looked at the data from uh, NXT, of course, it was a smaller study, uh, so we, we saw a lower volume and a lower mass, for instance, uh, for example, with women. Uh, Tim Fairburn did a much larger study from the advanced uh, registry and looked at volume to mass and the gender differences and uh, showed that women, again, had a higher volume to mass ratio than men. They had a lower volume and a lower mass, but a, a higher volume to mass ratio. Interestingly, this also explains other data where women with the same percent stenosis would have a higher FFR value. So it's very consistent with that observation that had been made in the, uh, in the FFR literature. You know, put another way is that a woman would have to have a more significant stenosis to have a positive FFR uh, than a man, you know, in the, for instance, in the LAD, all else being equal. In some patients, you could see in other obvious groups to look at, for example, where it'd be hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And in that, uh, those patients, again, you expect to see increase in vessel caliber, but also increase in mass. And those patients also have a low volume to mass ratio. And this uh, uh, Jonathan Leipzig's group demonstrated this in a, in a paper uh, also published in JCCT. So that another interesting uh, observation uh, from that, you can think about aortic stenosis, uh, patients that have had aortic stenosis treated, uh, for example, again, uh, all typically a low volume to mass uh, ratio. So the vessels adapt in response to hypertrophy, but they don't keep up, they apparently don't keep up with the uh, increases in mass. 
again, this, this could contribute to symptoms. In other patients, you might expect that it's more of a, of a phenomena of kind of vascular adaptation, you know, for instance, and that the vessels, small vessels might be the, might be suspect. And uh, for instance, in diabetic patients, and that's an area of uh, active investigation. But again, there's a whole range of other, other very interesting uh, studies that have now come out in looking at uh, VM in different patient groups. Yeah, Charlie, there's clearly a lot of excitement around VM and advanced coronary CT functional applications. Where do you envision VM in clinical practice in the future, and how would it play into the current FFRCT techniques that many of us are already using? I think from clinical practice perspective, there's a, there, one area, for instance, that we've, we're looking at right now, and we have a clinical trial that is just to, it's, well, it should enroll its last patients this week. It's called the P3 trial. And uh, this is out of uh, Bernard de Bruyne's lab in, in Alst uh, in Belgium. And they're actually using our, our planner product to be able to look at, we're predicting pre and post uh, PCI FFR uh, CT values and doing a direct comparison against a measured FFR with a motorized pullback, a pressure wire. And what's very interesting of that study is to this patient phenotype where you see a gradual drop, like we were talking at the beginning of the podcast about these patients with a gradual drop in FFR CT. So it's almost, it almost looks like a linear decay in pressure down, down the length of the vessels. And those patients that might also have a lesion on top of that, you could imagine that you're now dealing with a phenotype of patient that has focal stenosis and small caliber vessels, whether it's diffuse disease or low VM. And what we suspect is that you're going to get less benefit from PCI. So I think this could be used together with FFRCT and also even with invasive FFR to understand which patients might derive greater benefit from PCI or maybe need to be managed different medically. Depending upon the mechanism of causing VM, again, diffuse atherosclerosis or other phenomena, uh, if that's part of it, you might target have a targeted medical therapy. And some investigators are thinking about what about physical conditioning, the observation that vessels really dilate in athletes. Gudrun Feuchner uh, has a paper in European Radiology looking at VM in, in athletes versus controls and is uh, showing these uh, phenomena. So you might think about managing a patient a little different medically if they have a volume to mass ratio, or you might suspect that they will be more or less uh, amenable to revascularization. But I, I would argue that this is really kind of the next step uh, forward in, uh, in understanding this, is understanding more specifically how this information would be used to manage care of patients. Wow, I've learned a lot from our discussion today. This fantastic work demonstrates that epicardial lumen patency is not the only measurement we should be focusing on when we read coronary CT angiograms. With sophisticated approaches like VTRM analysis performed by HeartFlow, we can now delve deeper into the myocardium and start to differentiate these allometric phenotypes using coronary CTA. As we have long appreciated, High-resolution isotropic imaging using coronary CTA provides a window for us to look inside and review, test, and refine our assessment of cardiovascular physiology. Dr. Taylor, thank you so much for your time on the podcast today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Really, thank you again, Charlie. And for our listeners out there, if you like what you hear from us, please rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Once again, this has been the Donut of Destiny. Cheers. Cheers.